Hi everyone, this is Angelo Luciani. Welcome to episode 40 of the Nutanix Community Podcast. Here we go. We are back. Thanks for joining me on episode 40 of the Nutanix Community Podcast. I certainly missed you folks. We have a jam-packed few weeks ahead with many community guests, industry experts, and a few surprises, so stay tuned. This week, I chatted with community member Damon Baer, who recently published a book called Designing Risk in IT Infrastructure. We talk about the writing process, how he got started, what inspired him, and then jump into a few of his favorite topics from the book. I do mention at the end of the interview that if you tweet out a link to the show, you will be eligible to win a copy of the book. We have three copies to give away. So with that, let's join the conversation. I am delighted to have Damon Bear on the podcast today. Damon is a solution architect and technical account manager for enterprise clients with Scalar Decisions in Toronto, Canada. Hoot hoot to the hometown. Uh, he's also a V-expert, NSX, Nutanix technology champion, user group leader, and community presenter at many IT conferences. Uh, thanks for joining me on the podcast today, Damon. Yeah, thank you to have me. Great. Uh, you recently published a book titled Designing Risk in IT Infrastructure. So congratulations on that huge achievement. Thank you. Have you uh, officially taken your sort of sigh of relief that the book is completed and out? Because if you haven't, we can always pause for a moment so you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that the the big sigh of relief I, I have completed, but uh, it's it's a, an ongoing process, and and there's there's a lot more work besides finishing the book. Uh, which uh, I'll, I'll talk about in, in a little bit. But yes, the big sigh of relief is is done, but there's still much more to do. Good, good stuff. And I'm sure the family celebrated as well. So that's that's it's, yes. it's all good. Uh, so today I wanted to chat a little bit about the writing process. I know we have uh, a number of folks in the community who are considering writing a book and not really sure how to get, get, get started or what's involved. So it'd be great... Um, for you to share some of your recent insights with them on that. And then I thought uh, we'd dig into several aspects of the book, expand on some of your thinking uh, around some of the topics. How does that sound? Yeah, it sounds good to me. Good stuff. So uh, interesting title, Designing Risk in IT Infrastructure. Uh, when when did you get the uh, inspiration to, 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 to write this book? Um, well, I started working on a lot of the material for, for the book, uh, I'd say around five or six years ago. And uh, uh, some of the, the work that eventually ended up in the book, I was using for, uh, for clients uh, when I was building out um, uh, BCDR plans and, and we were doing some uh, uh, risk analysis for, for clients. And one thing that I found is that after I had completed the work for a client, there was so much more that I wanted to delve into, but the client wasn't going to pay for it. So I, I needed some right. venue in order to to explore that 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 a bit more. And that's where I started uh, venturing out into the different uh, areas that uh, eventually uh, became the book. Putting pen to paper, how, how did you get started? And, um, you know, did you seek a mentor to get to, to help you get started? Uh, well, I, I was lucky with the uh, the community. Uh, I was fairly active on uh, Twitter and a few different forums, and um, 
uh, I had uh, started following a number of, of uh, VCDXs at the time uh, because uh, the, the tweets that they would put out were always fairly interesting. So I, I tried to uh, surround myself with, with the people that, that I thought were uh, the most uh, uh, important and, and, and relevant and um, uh, participatory in, in the community. And the, the BCX community is, is very much that, uh, incredible people. And uh, one of the people that, that I was following is um, uh, John Arashid, which is uh, VCDX001. And uh, he po posted a tweet uh, a few years back saying, hey, we're or going through the process of, of writing this, this book. We'd love to have some reviewers. And uh, I jumped on that right away. And uh, I became uh, one of the, uh, uh, the reviewers of the, uh, the initial um, book um, that, uh, that was released in the, in the ITA series. And from that, I really got inspired by that. And I thought, hey, you know, there's, there's so much good content over here, and I'd love to expand on that. And I have a lot of good material myself. So then, you know, the question came around after that, if anybody else was interested in um, pursuing that and, and presenting material. And I, I had a, some ideas of what I wanted to do at, at the time. And, and like you said, I'd have a collection of, of different uh, engagements and material that I have started putting together. And um, what they said is, okay, well, before we say yes, you have to give us an abstract. You have to say, what are you trying to um, uh, achieve? What are you trying to do? Build a business case for, for your book. So it's not just about putting out a lot of material like, like you would in, in, in um, uh, a fictional novel or, or, or something like that. But uh, not only does it have to be interesting, uh, relevant, but it also needs to be something else that uh, there's not a million books out there in the series uh, or that are out there right now. And if, if you look at a lot of the IT books that are coming out, they're, they're very version specific for a very specific technology. You'll see like uh, your um, uh, VCP 6.5 uh, study guides, you'll see um, you know, specific versions of everything. And, and it's really easy to uh, uh, iterate with those and just go to the next version and pump out a new book. And that's something that we weren't trying to do with, with this series. We wanted to have something that was very relevant, that people could uh, use from a logical perspective and, and could uh, incorporate into many different aspects of, of, of their job. Now, the, uh, the first book that was uh, written by um, uh, John Rashid, um, uh, Mark Gabrielinski and um, uh, Chris McCain, they put out something that was foundational in the industry in, in terms of uh, IT architecture. And, and they uh, uh, compiled a lot of material that they put into the, um, uh, into the uh, VCAT, uh, uh, the uh, vCloud Architectural Toolkit, um, which uh, John was the, the lead of for a, a number of years. And that was really foundational material, but uh, a lot of that was not directly relevant to uh, architects in general. It was very, very good as a reference to go in and dive in into specifics, but it didn't guide people through the process. It didn't say that, okay, if you want to build an architecture, you have to go through this process, this process, and this process. This is the thought process that you need to bring to it, and this is what you need to understand to create a, a framework to um, go by. Um, so once uh, they released that book, I thought, okay, 
I'm going to delve into it a little bit deeper. I'm, I'm going to go into the, the, the fringes of the different areas and look at all the different aspects that um, an architect really needs to know of that, that aren't talked about in, in books, that aren't um, taught in courses, that you have to pick up along the way. And, you know, I've been in the industry for, for um, over 20 years now, and um, I've worked in a number of, of really strange and, and interesting uh, places where I've been able to pick these things up along the way. So uh, some of the material that I haven't put in, into the book was from things that, that I picked up uh, along the way. And, and I found that um, the answers that you need to build up your uh, a repertoire of, of skills and resources and, and, and so on, it's, it's not linear. It's very um, uh, abstract. You'll pick things up from one place, another place, and then combine them together to become the the expert in the industry that uh, you know that that you should strive to um, so that's how I approach this this book I want to look out to different uh, people within various industries uh, get their take on how things should be done and then turn that into something that is uh, more relevant in in the um, uh, IT uh, industry itself and specifically to uh, to architecture yeah, because I think uh, yeah, because I think you also touch on different industries in in the book and and you know s- some of their uh, practices as well. That, that's right. Yeah, and I and it's great. And you're right, as as you mentioned earlier, there there isn't there isn't something like this out there at the moment. It's not it's not another uh, just another another book, if you will. It's um it, it's really a compliment. To, to the previous uh, book in the series, I think, and uh, something unique for folks to, to pick up and, and um, to read. So, with that, give 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 folks a sense, you know, sort of like behind the curtain, what 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 the writing process is like, and you know, was there a routine? Did you wake up every day at like five a.m. and 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 punch out? a chapter or two or did you do it late at night uh you know was it sort of harder than you than you thought yeah well starting from uh the original group of of different abstract things that that i had and then turning that into um a a guideline for for the book that was the the key thing that that i had to start out with to say okay these are all the different topics and different areas that i want to delve into and um when I started writing the book, I didn't necessarily have a lot of experience in certain areas, and and I had to do a lot of research and reach out to people within the the industry. So, uh, sometimes what I would have to do is just write down my train of thought um, or train of thoughts for a certain topic, and then put those aside for a while, and then come back to them, and uh, then write out a chapter go talk to various people within the, the industry and then I may come back and, and rewrite large portions of that cha- chapter because I realized that my take on them may have been off or wrong or you know needed a, a bit of uh, a work in order to um, uh, flesh it out a bit. Um, so what I would do is look at uh, certain uh, areas or, or ideas and then work on those ideas and then build up on them. Um, so let's say, for instance, if, if I was looking at um, one of the the, uh, the, the topics that I talk about is uh, a red teaming and um, uh, uh, penetration testing and you know, different a- aspects of, uh, of that. And I believe that's, that's chapter 10. Um, 
And in order to do that, uh, I had to, to reach out to, to many different people within the industry. And I was lucky enough to, uh, to actually get a hold of um, uh, a red team uh, manager over at, uh, at VMware, which uh, um, I managed to uh, get a hold of them and, and ask a lot of different questions. And, and they gave me some, some really good insight into the way that, that the, the teams are operated, the, the way that uh, um, managing personalities is a big part of, of the, the job and, and how you have to uh, wrangle people in and, and really consider the, the human element behind the curtains when you're working in uh, a team environment uh, like, uh, like that. Um, especially with when you have um, uh, teams that are working in uh, response type scenarios or very specific engagements like uh, red teaming, you have to have a very uh, cohesive team that works together in in a workflow and if you don't have that then that can really destroy the the whole um goal of of the project and you're taking just that aspect of it uh, alone i started looking at uh how personality traits really affect team dynamics and um operations and uh, uh it culture and uh you know, all the, these different things that you don't normally think about uh, when you're looking at um, at uh, uh, actual goals. So if if you're looking at a, a an IT department, uh, usually there's uh, you know, different aspects of it, like you have uh, uh, operations, you have uh, architecture, uh, you may have some some dev test teams and, and and so on. And the way that those different teams are are built really depends on the uh, the culture within the organization the leadership of the organization the personality types and, and how they they interact you may have some people that are more recluse than than others and uh, you may have other people that are more outgoing than than others you know introverts versus uh, extroverts and uh, then there's many different personality types and, and subtypes within there and if you understand all the different personality types and, and models within uh, a group, then you can understand the different dynamics and things that um, uh, aren't normally um, uh, seen can become more apparent if, if you understand those interactions. And it's, it's very similar to looking at uh, architecture in, in uh, uh, general. Uh, just understanding the components is not good enough. You have to understand the um, the dependencies and the communications uh, in between the, in the different components to really understand how things work. So on the technology side, it's the same as on, on, on the human side. I think that uh, organizations you know, with IT operate in a very, very similar um, manner to uh, IT and technology itself. And that's you know, one of the things I try to create that um, uh, vision of in the book. Almost sounds like uh, I'm hearing um, a second book coming from you right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the, in the first book, uh, you know, I broke it down into a few different uh, uh, types of, of chapters. Like uh, I found that uh, some of the chapters that, that I, I had worked on were were practical. Some of them were of them were were theoretical, and uh, uh, you know there, there was different types of, of chapters. And um, I think that for for a lot of it, 
the the theoretical portion was was more of a of a foundation of, of ways that you can incorporate these ideas in, into the way you create an, an architecture. Um, what I'd like to do, and I've, I've actually started working on this already, is, is create more of a of a workbook that goes along with this to say that okay, these these are the theories that we we did in this book. Now let's look at how this maps to uh, the day to day. What does this look like in in a real life? Uh, scenario, what are the actual technologies that you can use right now in order to do these specific things? And then I, I'd walk people through that uh, that process. So that is something that, that I'm working on right now. Great idea. And, you know, uh, reading your book, um, it was the first time I ever heard of uh, red teams. So um, I was not really, maybe I was familiar with, with uh, you know, uh, groups of folks getting together, um, but not necessarily the term. So it was great to, great to, to learn that from the book. Um, now, I know you did this part-time, right? I know you didn't, yeah. like, you did have a full-time job. You do have a family and juggling commitments can sometimes be difficult. So how would you, um, how did you work your day in terms of setting aside time to write and, you know, maybe give folks an idea, uh, uh, or a suggestion on, on how they can, they can do the same part-time. Uh, yeah, I think the, the most important thing is to set deadlines for, for yourself to say that, okay, I need to get this done by this specific date and then work, uh, towards that. Um, if it's, if you're working on, on a book that requires a lot of, uh, mental stamina in order to to write, then do that very, very first thing in the morning. Uh, oftentimes, I would get up at um, uh, 3.30, 4 in the morning. Um, that's probably early for a lot of, a lot of people, but uh, I find that that's, that's the quiet period after uh, uh, I've, I've got uh, enough rest and uh, you know, the, the, the kids are asleep, everyone else is asleep, there's no sounds around, I don't have any uh, emails coming in, I don't have any meetings I have to attend. And it gives me that amount of time to just focus on something, even if it's just like two hours a day, then that's a good way to start the day because it gets, it gets you going mentally. It's, it's kind of like, um, a shot of coffee, you know, it's, uh, it gets the mind active. It gets you working, um, you know, it'd be like going for a run in the morning if, if, uh, that's what gets you going. But in this case, it, it got me thinking, and, and when I, I was working on things for two hours a day, then I could use that momentum to go into my, the rest of, of, of my day. Um, so it was, it was very beneficial in order to do that um, by setting aside uh, two hours in the morning every day in order to do that. Um, also, uh, when I was commuting uh, into um, uh, the office at, uh, at work, uh, I would often take the, uh, the train and use that time as well in order to uh, – uh, to uh, do a bit of um, uh, mind mapping and uh, and uh, a little bit of, of editing on the stuff that I wrote in the morning. So yeah, it was usually like two uh, hours in the morning and then um, a one hour on, on the commute. Uh, right. So you're roughly about three hours a day. Um, I think that everybody has a different writing process and writing style, uh, but just building the time into your routine helps you move forward and putting those deadlines in for you helps you move forward as well. Yeah. You, you, um, you mentioned mind maps. Was that one of the tools you used to sort of organize your thinking and was outlining or anything else, uh, a tool that you, you leveraged? Yeah. Mind mapping was, was huge. Um, 
you know, I, I used a, a number of, of different tools. Um, I, I have um, uh, mind map programs on my uh, on my laptop, on my on my phone, as well as uh, I do pen and paper mind maps as well. And then I take pictures of those, and then those those sync up with uh, uh, my uh, uh, Google Photos and Evernote and and all those things. So uh, I think as long as you have something in front of you that that you can use, use it. You know, there there's there's no uh, silver bullet for uh, you know creating these these systems, as long as you have some means to take down what's in your head and put it on paper or put it on on pixels, then uh, then that's the best thing to do. Um, you know, there's there's a number of, of different programs uh, out there that allow you to uh, look at all the different pieces that you combine together. Uh, Evernote is, is one of the best ones that, that I use for that. Uh, OneNote, Microsoft OneNote, I also use that a lot as well so that you can go through your different, uh, notebooks and, and you can uh, put things together. Um, on, uh, on the Mac side, um, I use, uh, OmniGraffle. It's, it's kind of like the, uh, the Mac version of, of, uh, Visio, but it's, it's much, much better. Right. Um, and, uh, I was easily able to, to map things out, out with, uh, with that. So yeah, I, I, I put all these things together you know, I print some things out on, on paper as well. And then I, I create the connections, uh, um, in, in these various programs. And, and then once I have an idea of what I'm trying to do and what I'm trying to convey, then I just start, um, hammering out the, the paragraphs and, and create those connections. Right, right. Um, so I think I might know the answer to this next question, but any advice for folks uh, interested in, in writing a book? Uh, yeah, I think that there's so much that is not being written right now that, that could, like there's there's many, many different uh, things that the people could, could, could write about. Uh, I think that the the best thing to do is reach out to to the community and, and start getting involved in in, in the community um, through uh, um, blogs through uh, podcasts like like this with you with yourself um, you go on on Twitter and, and start following a number of, of people in the the industry to see what people are, are talking about and then uh, see where, where where you can leave your mark where you can add your your take on things uh, because oftentimes the best books are not necessarily an original idea. It's just a certain vision or taken idea that, that really builds on, on top of it. And, uh, uh, nobody needs to be, uh, original to be great. They just need to, uh, build on the, on the shoulders of the people that came before them. And that's, that's how uh, you can, uh, you can really, uh, work. So if you are, uh, working in a specific area of, um, Whatever it is in that uh, that you do for um, uh, for a job, uh, see how your take on that is different than than other people's, and then uh, write from personal experience. Uh, it's the, the the best way to uh, to do it, and then see what you can uh, add to the industry with your brand. Right. So not every story has been told yet, and get out there, put pen to paper. And 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 work on sharing your story, so to speak, right? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, we actually have um, a, a great group that uh, that we're working with uh, over here at the um, at the IT Architect uh, series, um, working with the uh, the other editors in in the uh, uh, in the first book 
a lot of those uh, folks actually ended up being uh, editors on on this book and as well as the the third book. We have some other books uh, coming out. So it it really becomes a, a community within a, a community um, on um, on the writing side. Yeah, and that's that's what's so exciting about it. Everyone sort of contributing. Uh, helping each other sort of move the ball up the field, if you will. Uh, it feels good, and everyone really gets gets to learn something from from the entire process. Um, let's. Uh, so I hope we've given folks uh, an idea of uh, sort of the writing process, what's involved. Um, I, you know, if I had any any uh, advice to give folks, I'd say just do it. Just get out there, put pen yeah. to paper, set a goal. Um, you know, you got you got the like you said, Damon. You got the community around you that can help um, polish your idea, uh, and and just go and do it, and uh, you'll be surprised at the um, the results. But uh, I, we should we should dig into the book uh, a bit. You, do you want to give folks a sense of um, sort of what the book was is about, and sort of walk us through the progression of the book and and who sort of the target audience is? Sure. Uh, so. I'll start out with the the name of the book, which uh, actually catches a lot of people off off guard, and then they they start um, getting into a discussion with me about it. And and I've gotten a you know a few different takes on it. Some people really don't like it, <laughs> and and they say that's the the title is wrong. It shouldn't be that. And and I'll, I'll try to justify it a bit. Well, the, the title first of all is is designing risk in IT infrastructure, and some people say why would you want to design risk? Shouldn't you be mitigating risk? You know, shouldn't you be preventing risk? And the reason that it is designing risk is because yeah, I take the the approach that you can never remove all risk. That you have to understand the uh, the the risks, the costs, uh, everything that's that's involved in in order to uh, build something that meets the requirements that uh, that that are presented in in front of you so you can never completely remove them so if you can't remove them then you're essentially designing the risks and acknowledging and accepting in certain ones there's some things that that you can never uh you know completely uh, protect yourself against like uh, uh, for instance um you know if you are um building up a data center over on, on the, the, the West coast and, um, you know, an, an earthquake happens, then you can't build your infrastructure, uh, in order to present or prevent against really, really big earthquakes that may you know, take out the, uh, the power and destroy buildings and, and so forth. So you have to understand, you know, what are the risks associated, uh, with that? Is it better to move the data center over to another part of the country that has less possibility of um, having these earthquakes? Is that other part of the country possibly going to be uh, hit by uh, floods or hurricanes like we're seeing down in in Texas and in, in Florida? Or are you going to have to deal with other issues in, in different regions? And what's the actual probability that these things are going to happen in each one of those regions? So in, in the book, the first part of it, um, I, I lay out uh, what does it actually take to build up a completely indestructible uh, infrastructure? And, and I believe that's uh, uh, chapter uh, chapter two, uh, where it's uh, probably about a quarter of, of the book 
is building an, an indestructible infrastructure. I say that these are all the different techniques that you can use to make sure that you have um, resiliency and redundancy in every aspect of, of your, your environment. You can build things up. You can look at uh, individual things such as um, how likely is a specific component um, possibly going to fail. You can look at the the, the sources where they came from, where they were manufactured, um, and uh, then get some certain information from uh, you know the manufacturers on on how likely those are, are are going to fail. You can also do your own empirical testing if you have lots of of hardware that comes in. So over a period of time, you can say what actually is failing um, over time and what is the likelihood that it's going to fail, and and then create. Um, graphs based on that so that you can understand every single component that you put into your infrastructure when it's all put together which areas are are likely to fail and what's the probability of that occurring and then you can look at that probability and say okay based on this probability is it better to accept that that will fail or should we invest X amount of dollars in order to prevent that from failing or, or build up another strategy in, in, in case it, it fails. So in, in the book, I really talk about looking at those numbers. How do you break those those numbers down? So if you do want to build something that, that's indestructible, this is how much it's going to cost. These are all the different things that you need to think about. But on the converse side, if you build something that's indestructible, no one is going to be able to afford it, and it's right. it's it's living right. in in uh, you know living in a dream. It's it's everything that everyone would like to do, but nobody really can do. So you have to understand how far can you get in certain uh, areas building these these parts up. If you look at all the different risks that you have within your environment, which ones are the most likely to occur? What is the impact that happens when they occur? And um, how much would it cost to prevent that um, you know, negative Im impact from, uh, from happening? So once you understand all the weak points in your uh, infrastructure and all the different things that you need to be concerned about, then you can start um, uh, sharpshooting the key areas that will allow you to build up a more robust infrastructure, but without pouring tons and tons and tons of money into bolstering the entire environment. You can look at the, at the, the low-hanging fruits. You can look at the things that are most likely, the things that may cause most damage that you need to prevent. Um, and uh, that's that's the, the thought process that uh, that I, I go through when I'm uh, talking about building things that are, are indestructible. So that's uh, roughly about a quarter of, of the book that I, I talk about about that. Um, then I, I start talking about you know, some of, of the more um, soft things that the people need to uh, uh, consider, such as, um, okay, if we're looking at, at risk, let's look beyond technology risk. Let's look at uh, business risk. Let's look at the risks that, that happen when you take uh, two different companies together and you merge them together. And what's going to be the success or failure of of that um, of that merger? How what are the things that you need to, to consider? And a, a lot of times, these sort of things are, are just put onto uh, the the executive team or you know the the heads of the business. Right. But the people that really have to deal with this on a day to day basis are are, are the people that are. are uh, working on on the front lines that are working in management positions, and you know they're they're, they're managing the, these different teams, and they have to understand why 
would this 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 merger this joining of, of the companies uh, succeed or fail or what or fail and what are the things that they need to look at, out for so i take some of, of those uh, ideas that are normally looked at just from the 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 business and executive side and i bring those into it and i say that okay these are the the things that you need to be uh, concerned about these are the things that you need to uh, watch for this is how something like that can can succeed uh, or fail and this is how you can create your your teams and work with your teams to um make sure that the, the things um continue in, in, in a positive uh, fashion and that you don't have these uh uh things that, that may sabotage your organization uh as a whole uh you know down uh, down the road um so I start going to certain aspects of um, of that, and then I venture off into uh, some other areas that um, uh, kind of size stuff the, the the norm as as well. Like when I'm, I'm talking about uh, a red teaming, um, I, I I have the the name of the chapter as um, uh, red teams and robots, and I talk about uh, uh, chaos engineering. And uh, chaos engineering is something that's, that's near and dear to my to my heart, and and, and I I love it a lot. But it's very very similar, in a sense, to what uh, people do on the security side with uh, penetration testing and and with with vulnerability um, assessments. By looking at uh, areas, well, let's just go back over to um, vulnerability and penetration testing. The, the way that that's, that's normally done is that uh, companies, at once they reach a certain um, uh, sophistication uh, within their uh, security uh, posture, then you know they're they're doing all, all the basic things like they're doing uh, a regular uh, patching, they're doing you know, uh, they have password strategies, they're they're ensuring that you know people only connect from from certain networks and so on. There's um, uh, a top twenty uh, controls that um, uh, SANS has has released, which is called you know the SANS top twenty controls. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's something that that every organization should should really follow as as a base from standards. Once they they start implementing uh, a lot of those, then they can look at okay, where are they actually uh, weak, and and that's where um, vulnerability testing uh, or vulnerability assessment uh, comes in. And uh, it's usually done by by a third party that will will come in and uh, do scans on the network, uh, understand like all, all where all the different devices are on on the network, uh, how things are. Um, communicating with each other what are the, the, the dependencies and start looking at the vulnerabilities and weaknesses weaknesses and then they create a report on that and then that goes back over to to the company and then for the company will start uh, fixing up those holes and and, and doing that uh, that sort of thing to make sure that um, they're not as vulnerable uh, penetration testing goes over to the, the next step where you actually have uh, people that will um, um, attack things to, uh, to a certain extent to see what is uh, actually vulnerable. They'll send uh, exploits over to uh, certain devices and then they'll create a report saying, oh, okay, we were able to do this, this, and this in order to get uh, root access. This means that that's vulnerable and so on and so on. So then that would be a report that would go back over to the company and, and they would fix that as well and they'd try to plug up the gaps and every so often they'd keep on doing that. Red teams are the next step above that. It's it's where you have usually a CIO would go over to a third party organization and then they would, they would bring in this team and 
the team wouldn't have anything more than um, a business name and um, pretty uh, pretty much that's it. You know, they they would start looking at different ways that they can uh, attack the uh, the environment, whether it's through um, websites, through uh, partner companies, um, or uh, phishing scams. Uh, or you know, just going over to the office themselves and dropping a bunch of USB drives and see who picks them up and plugs those things into into their system. Uh, you saw a, right. a lot of those sort of things like on uh, on the show uh, Mr. Robot, which I think was was brilliant as well. Mm. So you know the, these are the type of things that uh, red teams do in order to uh, look at where the vulnerabilities are on on the security side and help organizations really patch up the things that are are unseen. Uh, on um, that chaos engineering side, it's a, a similar sort of, of thing, but in, instead of looking at um, vulnerabilities and, and exploits within uh, code and version and so on, you look at design vulnerabilities and, and, and weaknesses in the design of an, of an architecture so that you can understand that if uh, – uh, X service goes down that that's going to affects uh, or affects or affect Y application and what are the dependencies between all these different services and and uh, applications. So when something actually goes down, let's say a piece of hardware, then you can understand that that's going to affect affect this service. That's going to affect this application. These are all the different de- uh, dependencies. And if something fails, you uh, can look at the different states that that your environment goes in. Once you understand all of the different services that you have, the the criticalities that are associated with them, the uh, the service levels that are required for the, those different um, uh, applications and services, then you can determine how much of a failure you can actually uh, accept in an environment. Um, now, th- there's one thing that I talk about in in the 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 book, which is. Um, uh, called a uh, defense in, in depth, which uh, oftentimes that's that's done from a or looked at from a security aspect, where you have a different levels of um, uh, of the environment that uh, can accept um, a failure or an intrusion or so on, but it still protects things within layers, kind of like like an onion. Um, on the um, uh, architecture side side of things, um, one way that you can look at it is if something fails, that changes from the initial state that it's in operational state over to a different state. If you can understand what that different state is going to look like based on that failure, then you know how it'll affect things if you have another failure, another failure. So how many failures can you have in an environment before you have a catastrophic failure where the business is no longer functional? So in the the, the book, I talk about how you can look at everything that you have in your environment, break it down to those components, and then map out the uh, interrelations and the, the dependencies so you can understand every single state that happens when a failure occurs. Um, and you know, some of the, the techniques that, that I used to do that, uh, I borrow from uh, um, uh, computer science uh, as well as uh, from the... Uh, um, uh, the the nuclear industry, um, chemical industry, pharmaceutical industries, many many different industries that encounter these same same sort of, of things, but they haven't really been migrated over to the the IT and the IT industry as much, and that's what I'm really trying to bring to the book. Right. 
This book goes way beyond just patching and keeping systems up to date. It's really about uh, a a holistic view of your infrastructure, if you will. Um, At least that's that's how I feel about it. Um, um, In your technical role, Damon, you know, uh, do you think IT teams, because you're in you're in different enterprises all the time, do do you see or think IT teams have become siloed and and sort of we don't get an overall view when designing for risk? Yeah, very, very much so. Um, one one thing that I find is is that you have you have the network teams, you have the storage teams, uh, you have the um, uh, the teams that are maybe doing architecture and they create uh, waterfall plans, which basically means that they create the framework of how an, uh, an architecture is going to look like, and then they start building it out over time and over time and over time, and that's really great to do to an extent, but that doesn't keep up with the, the pace of business. So what you, you're seeing a lot of times in the industry is that you have this, this waterfall plan for architecture, but then people start doing um, uh, more of, a, of an agile process, uh, which you see with, uh, with things like um, uh, DevOps and um, uh, continuous integration, continuous delivery, that sort of thing. So there's a big... Um, how do you say this uh, conflict between the, the waterfall strategy and the agile strategy and, and both of these um, models, they, they definitely have their benefits, but they also have their, their drawbacks from the waterfall side, uh, side of things. It, it allows you to really drill down and understand everything from a, from a high level and then go smaller, smaller, smaller in order to make sure that everything is done properly and to a certain standard and the the benefit of that is that um, you have uh, an overall strategy for the long term the the drawback of that is that you cannot adapt quickly and if there is a problem with the initial design that needs to be changed, it is very difficult in order to change that, that aspect of it. Whereas on, on the, the agile side, you can look at specific areas and you're able to uh, put something in place, uh, patch a hole, and then iterate in order to make it better and better o- over time. So I think that what um, a lot of companies are doing now is they're, they're taking both of these strategies at the same time and they're integrating them. And the integrating of these different strategies, this is kind of like um, uh, un, uh, untouched ground. It's, it's something that the the industry as a whole is is really trying to understand how to how to approach. There's there's no rules on 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 how to do this, and I think that's that's the, the biggest thing that the people are are, um, are running into right now. Now the the silo technology that is. Uh, something that you see uh, a lot more from the um, from the waterfall side of things, where you have this team is responsible for this, and this team is responsible for for this. But as IT budgets start reducing, people have to uh, uh, cross train with many many different other skills. So so then those the, the lines of those teams start to blur, and especially when you have like mergers between organizations or divisions. Um, some people are responsible for the same thing as, as other people, so there, there's really a, um, a, a conflict on, on who takes ownership for, for what. And what I often see is that everybody takes ends up taking partial ownership for it, 
until it breaks and then everybody kind of runs away <laughs> and, 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 uh, you know, ownership is, is thrown up over to, um, the, uh, to the, uh, uh CIO, uh, at, at that point or the managers or, or the execs. And then things start changing. You have, uh, a big uh, conflicts within uh, companies and how are they actually going to deal with this? And, and then they, they look for um, external companies to come in and help them with uh, technology planning and see where did they actually go wrong. Mm. Um, so I, I think that it's, it's not just the silos itself is it's the changes in culture that are occurring and, and people have to uh, understand that um, they have to accept all these different um, types of, of strategies but also have a cohesive plan um, towards a goal in the future. So have uh, a goal that they're working towards, um, business requirements that they're able to meet, and then improve and iterate as much as possible within each one of those, um, a, a, as well as looking at, at all these, these different other aspects as well. So um, that's, that's kind of what, what I, I try to talk to in, um, right. in the book is, uh, you know, looking at, uh, multiple strategies and taking it as um, not one strategy is going to work, but you have to apply what works to the business requirements and the specific scenarios that are within uh, an enterprise. Right, right. Uh, one of the one of the unique features of the book um, that I've that I that caught my attention was the tagging of the chapters, where you tag particular chapters. Um, I think it was technical, uh, theory, and practical. Uh, what were your thoughts behind that? Um, well, yeah, that uh, I, I looked. I looked at it, and I thought that um, you meant many, many people can look at this book and get something different out of it. And it's it's not the sort of book that you can just read through uh, linearly, and you know that's the way that it needs to be read. Uh, so since I I did create it for such a large group of, of people. I thought different people can get different things out of it. So why don't I tag it in such a way that they can, it's kind of like a choose your own adventure for, for, for the book itself. Do you want to get uh, an, a general idea of all the different things that you need to think about when you're designing an architecture? Or do you want something that's going to help you on the day to day? Um, how how far into the rabbit hole do you actually want to go? And that's why I broke out the chapters and, and tagged them with these with these different um, um, tags. Great, good. Do you have a favorite chapter in the book? Yeah, I've I've got a, a few different chapters. I, I, I like the whole book, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I'm a bit biased. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. I I I think was was there a chapter that really pushed you to? to sort of look at something new, something different, do a lot more research? Yeah, when, when I started uh, working on um, the different ways that, that you can use uh, mathematics in order to uh, uh, analyze uh, probability and to uh, understand a risk with an environment and, and create something uh, tangible um, with that, that's, that's what really stretched me out. Uh, a lot, and, and I, I had to uh, go over that uh, that chapter uh, many uh, many many times to to really make sure that I was conveying what I was trying to convey with within the the chapter it, itself. And you know, the way that, that I approach that is that um, when when you're looking at uh, at uh, risk and, and probability, you can 
look at it from um, in such a way that you can see what has happened in in the past, and and you can see uh, how things have occurred, and then you can create metrics based on the probability of those occurrences happening again. But that only works in scenarios where you actually have that that data before. If you're going to uncharted territories, then it it really starts getting a, a lot more complicated. Like, how do you really know how much risk you want to associate? with something if it's never happened before what's the likelihood that that's actually going to happen and then if you want to vet out that that probability of, of occurring how do you um ensure that the assumptions that you're making are actually accurate because uh, sometimes when when people are assigning a certain amount of probability to something it may just be something that they pulled out of a hat and they say okay based on my experience Maybe this is the the amount of probability that that that's occurred, uh, or that's going to occur. But if if somebody doesn't have that, then they, they have to find a different way to validate their their assumptions. And um, through that that chapter that that I wrote specifically on that, I show the different times you would want to use um, one method of doing it versus uh, versus another. So I, I think that's that's probably the one that that I like the. Uh, uh, the most. Um, another one that, that I really like a lot was I, again the uh, uh, the red teaming and chaos engineering one. That was right. uh, quite enjoyable. In fact, I think you've done I think you've done um, chaos engineering um, presentations. Uh, correct for V Brown Bag, I think. Yeah, I did a, a presentation on uh, chaos engineering for vSphere uh, down over at uh, at VMworld uh, US uh, 2017. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's up on the uh, uh, V Brown Bag uh, uh, YouTube uh, page right now. Right, right, great. So, uh, last question for you: um, Where can folks pick up the book? Sure. So right now, if if you go over to uh, designingrisk.com, dot uh, com, then then you're able to uh, get the book through there. Uh, it's going to be on um, uh, Amazon, Kindle, Kobo, Apple books, and, and all those, those different, uh, um, electronic methods, uh, in the very near future, I'd say probably within the, uh, the next month. And, uh, you'll also be able to get it from, uh, Lulu publishing as well. Um, or you can go over to the, uh, ITA series website, which that's actually the, the website for uh, all of the different books that that we have in the series, and and uh, there should be a link for the uh, the different books um, over there as well. Right. Yeah, and we'll have uh, links in the show notes to a lot of the um, resources that were shared on the podcast today. And we do have three books to give away uh, for list to listeners. So if you tweet out a link to the show, uh, you'll be entered in a chance to win a copy of the book. Uh, we'll probably distribute. Um, uh, ebooks out to folks, but um, be be on the lookout for that. Um, as uh, Damon, it was great chatting with you. Uh, all the best uh, on the book. It's uh, jam packed with uh, great info. Um, and I'd like to remind pe- uh, folks to, that they can connect with Damon on uh, LinkedIn or on Twitter at uh, Damon Bear. Uh, thanks so much again for um, spending time with the community, sharing uh, your your process and how you got to the final product, uh, which is uh, a huge achievement. So congratulations, Damon. Great. Thank you very much for having me. It was fantastic. Thanks. 
Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to check out the Nutanix online community for resources at next.nutanix.com. And you can reach out to me on Twitter at Angelo Luciani. And consider joining us in Nice, France, November 7th to 9th for our .next conference. As always, from the team here at Nutanix, have a great week.